0: Good morning. How are we? Happy Easter. Good to see each and every one of you. I don't get to see some of you, but two times a year, Christmas and Easter, so it's really good to see you all. That's okay. Hey. I understand churches have an agenda, no problem. Two times a year, it's all you give me, that's okay. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, you know, churches have an agenda, we just want your time, your money, whatever, but in the interest of full disclosure, you need to know that I do have an agenda this morning. We, as a church, have an agenda, and here it is, if you're a guest with us, we want you to fall more in love with Jesus. That's our agenda. That's what we're seeking after, that every day you'll take some steps closer to Jesus, the man who saved your soul. And that's really what we're celebrating today. And uh, so if you brought a Bible, I'd like to have you go ahead and grab it. I hope you did. If you didn't, there are some free ones in the back. You can also follow along on the screen or there in uh, the notes that you should have received. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, we're going to take a look at a a book in the Bible called Acts. And there should be a table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. It's spelled A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. So, uh, you know, thank Shakespeare, not the body spray, if that helps you out. uh, That's what you need. You should have received some sermon notes. You can follow along there too. But while you're getting there, It's wildly important for you to understand that there are hundreds of churches just like ours all over the world that uh, are exploring what Easter is all about today. And so we're going to take a look in this story in Acts to find out what Easter is all about. And you need to understand that for this agenda that I have for you to fall more in love with Jesus, one of the ways that we like to do that to help you take your next steps is we'll take a book of the Bible or a topic that seems relevant. We'll spend a few weeks exploring what God has to say about those things and uh like I said we're going to be in this book of Acts and really my goal this morning is to get you just interested enough about this book that you'll be motivated, you'll be compelled to come back next week. That's why we're starting this brand new series, and my hope is that you'll come back each week after that when you start seeing some of the stories that are playing out in this book of the Bible. Now, uh, there are some things that we need to understand and clear up about the book of Acts, but more importantly, there are some things that we need to talk about. Uh, as far as Easter goes this morning. So the reason we follow Jesus, the reason I want you to follow Jesus, the reason I want you to take steps closer to Jesus is because of one specific event. One specific event that changed human history. It altered history. It changed our time from B.C. to A.D. An event that's so unbelievable, it might just be plausible. Plausible. Furthermore, we don't believe in this event because the Bible tells us that we should believe in this event, although that is part of it. The reason we believe in this event is because of the eyewitnesses who saw it happen. The eyewitnesses that, man, this is so huge, who saw Jesus. They did what you or I would do. They took to social media after they saw this event. Their social media was a little bit different in the sense that they actually had to talk to people like face to face. I know it sounds crazy, they couldn't post it anywhere, but uh, nonetheless, these eyewitnesses started telling everybody what They saw. They started walking miles upon miles to villages to tell people what they saw. They started sailing around the world. They didn't just tell people. Locally, they tried to tell as many people as they could. They started keeping a detailed journal of everything that they were witnessing. And when they told people about this event that they saw, and eventually a group of people compiled these journals into the New Testament canon that is our Bible today. And now, 2,000 years later, we get to read some of these journals. Guys like Peter and Matthew and John, they were disciples of Jesus. They literally got to spend three years every day with this guy together. And we can read guys like Mark and Luke. They were more like investigative journalists who questioned the eyewitnesses about what had happened. Because again, this event was so uh, bizarre, they couldn't quite wrap their minds around it. They needed more information. They hung out with the apostles. They traveled with them all around The world. And then there's James. We can read about James, who's the half brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dad, if you're curious how that works out. But I've said this before I think James is the best biblical evidence we have for the person and work of Jesus because we can read in the Bible how James, the half brother, he didn't believe in Jesus as the Savior of the world because that's not what you believe about your siblings. Think about that. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? Probably what he ended up doing, which is why James started to believe, which is why these other men started to believe, which is why we, the followers of Jesus, believe today. What these men saw, the event that they witnessed was Jesus crucified, professionally executed, confirmed dead by trained assassins who ran a spear through his heart. They watched him buried in a tomb, a tomb that was given to him by a man named Josephus. They, uh, they saw this gigantic rock rolled in front of the tomb. They saw Roman guards standing outside the tomb, but then Three days later, they came to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. There were no guards. The tomb was empty. Now, skeptics would want you to believe that, well, the body was just stolen. It was taken out of there. Somehow, you know, the soldiers disappeared, whatever. They rolled the rock away. There was no tomb. But not only did they see an empty tomb, they saw Jesus alive. After witnessing him die, they saw him come back to life. They got to spend 40 days with him. They ate with him. They drank with him. They spent time with him. In fact, everything that we believe as a group of Jesus followers hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the linchpin that holds this entire faith together. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we are still dead in our sins and we of all people should be most pitied, especially on a day like today of what we're celebrating. If this is just some sort of magical hoax, then what are we doing here? Why have people for thousands and thousands of years died for this event in human history? Because Jesus did raise from the dead. And I will proclaim that until the day that I die because it's such great news. And I won't proclaim it because the Bible tells me so. I'll proclaim it because these men and women for thousands of years have died to make sure that I could get this message. Yes, and it came to me through the Word of God, so don't mistake what I'm saying. We're a Bible-believing church. But... I believe it because of what the eyewitnesses saw and how they recounted it for me and for thousands of years. On this day, people begin to gather and celebrate this Easter Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. So what I want us to do today and over the next number of weeks, I want us to look at a book in the Bible, like I said, called... Acts. And what I want you to do is start thinking about this movement that started because of this day, because of this Easter Sunday where Jesus rose. I want you to think about everything that has happened. Now, here's something you need to understand about Acts. It was written by a guy named Luke. He actually wrote another book of the Bible titled after him, Luke. You can think of this uh, as part two of this story. It's a story as well. It's a narrative, and the reason I bring that up is because there's not going to be a whole bunch of crazy big words or theological doctrine that you're going to need me or some sort of study Bible to interpret for you. I say that so I would encourage you to read this story and read ahead, because as we spend weeks unpacking this book of Acts, there'll be times where we'll cover four chapters at a time, but I'm only going to read eight verses within those four chapters. So if you're not keeping up, you're going to wonder what in the world is happening. But we're going to explore this movement of God's people and how Jesus begins his church. And as you read on your own, you need to understand that not everything you're reading in this book of Acts is going to be prescriptive for your life. So I guess let me do this. Anytime you read the Bible, and I hope that you do, there's a couple ways you can look at it. You can understand, is ask yourself, well, what is God trying to teach me here and what I'm reading? Is this prescriptive for me? Should I be doing what I'm reading? Or is this just descriptive? Is this just describing an event in the history of The world prescriptive versus descriptive i don't have time to break down to how you can actually do that but i put a blog on our website very helpful for you if you want to go check it out to determine what is prescriptive and what is descriptive sometimes god is just recapping through the men who wrote the bible what happened and it has no implication on your life but other times it's prescriptive and it means it should be prescribing some sort of change or alteration in your behavior so I'll give you a little bit of an example of this just to kind of help you in the gospels we read about a disciple named judas who betrayed Jesus for money that's how the Pharisees were close enough got close enough to Jesus to actually Arrest him and we also read how Judas killed himself So the disciples decide that they need another disciple to take Judas's place we've to 11 They want to get back up to 12 and so they cast lots and the lot fell on a guy named Matthias You can read about that in the book of acts. So if this is Prescriptive then we need to break out the dice to find out who our next small group leader is going to be We're going to need to draw straws on our next children's ministry director, right? If this is prescriptive, but let me assure you, we don't play the lottery here for leadership roles. It's not how it works because that's kind of silly. So, if this is just a descriptive event, it described how they chose the disciple. It wasn't necessarily prescriptive for us uh, as a church. So, here's the other thing that I want to chat with you about as far as this book of acts goes it's filled with all kinds of signs and wonders and they're awesome but they're not the point of the book when you read this book of acts yourself you're going to read about tongues and you're going to read about prophetic words and you're gonna about healing the sick and raising the dead and they're not the point of the book Although we will address the miraculous, we will look at how God accomplishes certain things through miraculous means. I do not feel compelled to use this study to unpack for you how gifts work and how the Holy Spirit works on a day in and day out basis. So if you're one of the more charismatic men and women in the church, praise God, you were all pumped up for acts. I get it. Please, though, do not break out the tambourines quite yet or the flags and ribbons, okay, just hold on to your tongues of fire for now. I promise you we'll talk more about Holy Spirit stuff uh, in the coming, uh, hopefully, months, because I have it on my radar to talk about the Holy Spirit. I think it's a big deal for us to get a grasp a little bit on Him and what He does. That being said, you in Acts chapter 1? Okay, here we go. Let's get to it. Start in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, time out. I promise we'll go way faster than that. Okay, don't get don't get worried. But this first book is the book of Luke. I already addressed it. This is part two of uh, a series. Acts is kind of like uh, Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets. Okay, part two in a bigger series. That was a joke. Nobody laughed at that. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Theophilus, he's a, belie- a non-believer. He's kind of representative of Gentiles. Luke is outlining for him, and in a very real way, he's outlining for us why we can believe in Jesus. He did that in this first book. He's continuing on the book, okay? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, hold on. I know I said I'd go faster, but this is, this is crazy. He said Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, it's not finished. There's a movement that is starting. You seeing that. Okay, one of you is. Okay, great. I'll do better. I promise. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's what we're celebrating today. That Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to them. He presented himself alive. That's how this movement starts. Because Jesus presented himself alive after being confirmed dead. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's a very important verse for you to understand. We talked a little bit about this last week, that for a thousand years... These Jews had been enslaved by foreign kingdoms. They were promised a Messiah, someone who would save them from this slavery. They thought Jesus was that guy. And so they were intent on asking, are you going to restore the kingdom, the kingdom that we had with David a few thousand years ago? Will you bring that back for us? These Romans, not super hospitable, Jesus. We would prefer if somebody else was leading us. Will you do that and take care of that for us? But he said to them verse seven, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now notice how Jesus spun that. They were asking about his power. Say, are you going to do this for us? And he spins it back on them. He says, no, let me tell you about your power. Because you have power. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time today. I want to talk about your power that you have received. Because the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive power. Catch this. Jesus said, y'all need to wait for this power. You will receive it a time later on. So wait but for you. You don't have to wait. You might jot it down if you're taking notes this way. When I believe, the Holy Spirit lives in me. When I believe, the Holy Spirit lives in me. The moment I trust as Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The moment I say I believe, I repent of my sins. Help me, Jesus, at that moment. Power. The Holy Spirit literally takes up residence in your life. Not only do you have power, I'm going to show you you got purpose, and I'm going to show you you got a plan. That's what this verse Acts one eight outlines for you: power, purpose, and plan. Let's talk power. Jesus tells his men, "You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you." If you know the story of the crucifixion. You might remember that when Jesus died on the cross, when he cried out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Why does that matter for you in 2017? I'll tell you why. This curtain was symbolic in the sense that it curtained off the Holy of Holies within the temple. So in first century Jerusalem, they had a temple. In this center section was the Holy of Holies. Priests were only allowed to go in it one time a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement because the presence of God literally resided in this Holy of Holies. Now, the moment Jesus dies and yields up his spirit, that curtain is torn, and the Spirit of God leaves the temple as human beings become the temple. So don't miss this. You don't have to come to church to meet God. Whereas before, they had to make sacrifices and make uh, certain, keep rules and go through a priest and all of this. No longer for you. The Holy Spirit literally takes up residence in your life. You are the temple of God. God is in heaven and Jesus is moving on your behalf and he sends his spirit to help you on a day in and day out basis. This is incredible, incredible news. I'll show you this in Scripture. Check it out, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Whom within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. When I believe, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I have power. I am a temple. Furthermore, watch this. Jesus says this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. That's power. You're going to get to do greater works than what Jesus did. Does that mean tomorrow you should take a fish sandwich to work and bless it and feed all of your coworkers? Uh, maybe not. Okay. Does that mean you should go to a funeral, and say, hold on, this dude ain't dead. He's just sleeping. Raise up. I would not recommend that. That's not going to end well, most likely. But what power, then, do you have? If you have power, one more passage, Second Timothy 1, 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of what? Of power and of love and of self-control. Your primary power comes in your ability to love and serve God. To resist the temptations of the devil. Your power comes in your ability to love like Jesus loved. To have self-control. That's a big deal. This is why you need so much power. Your primary power is making much of God. Your primary power is living a full and rewarding life. God promises you power. How often are we not living in power? the power that God has given us. So I think too many people think, well, if I just witnessed God, like if He just showed up and demonstrated His power, if there was just this miracle that I could see, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because a miracle will never sustain your soul. You don't need to look any further than the second book of the Bible. When God rescued A million people out of slavery. He led them through a desert. They get to a sea. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit part this sea by some brother holding up a staff. They got water walls on each side of them. They walk through the water on dry land. A million people make it to the other side. Dude drops his staff. Water sweeps over the army that is chasing them. And within the week, these people are melting down all their gold jewelry, making a cow and worshiping it after some wild orgy they just had. Miracles don't sustain your soul. But you have power because when I believe the holy spirit lives in me So no, just because you see power doesn't mean you believe But listen to me. I hope you get to see power I hope you get to witness a miracle. I hope you pray for somebody and they are healed I hope you god moves on your behalf. I hope you explore spiritual gifts I hope you get an opportunity to speak in tongues or have discernment or any number of spiritual gifts But here's what you have to understand the goal of the Holy Spirit is always, always to make much of God. Sometimes he'll do that in different ways. Sometimes he'll do it in more powerful ways on your behalf, but it's always to make much of God. When I believe the Holy Spirit lives in me, I have power. You need to operate within that power. Here's the other thing that you've got to understand. Purpose. You have power, but you also have purpose, which I already said, your purpose, if the Holy Spirit is making much of God and the Holy Spirit is living in you, then your purpose is the same as the Holy Spirit's purpose, to make much of God. Back to Acts 1.8, Jesus says, not only will you receive power, but you will be my witnesses. That's your purpose in life, to be a witness for God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, well, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. How in the world could God use somebody like me to be a witness? Because you have power. Because when you believe, the Holy Spirit lives in your life. Our problem is we think we have to be something other than what we are in order for God to use us. We think we need more. Give you a weird analogy. We've probably all heard of Bick and Schick razors or Gillette. They've Got commercials on all of the time, and they all promise you uh, more razors. There's the Chic Quattro X15 Version 19 with titanium blades that have little robots spinning on those blades with lasers that somehow graft the hair from your face. This is more. Is better promotion because what you probably don't realize is there's not a whole lot of scientific research out there demonstrating that more razors is better. In fact, a scientific study just came out not that long ago that they put out and it demonstrated that technique is way more important than the number of blades. It's why professional barbers still use a single blade. This is just a marketing ploy to get you to spend more money. How does that make some of you feel? Not great. That's okay. I'm going to make you feel better. How does this apply to your spiritual life? Because everybody thinks they have to be something more in order to be effective. And it's not true. You just have to use what God has given you. You don't need more Greek. You don't have to understand your Bible better. You just have to live your life in a God-glorifying and magnifying way. That's how you'll be effective. And here's how I can prove it to you. Watch this, Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. develops well-formed maturity in you he gives you power he gives you self-control it's your everyday life that points people to god what do you do in moments of stress how well do you love your spouse how well are you parenting your kids that's what non-christians are looking at it's not if you can decipher greek or parse verbs or you never cuss it's how are you living Life. What are you doing with what God has given you? That's what people want to see. People want to see a hope, and you have it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have hope. You have what everybody is looking for in this life you have power, you have purpose. Finally, you have a plan. This is going to go fast. Check it out. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's plan is to spread this mes- Easter message all across the globe for all time until he returns. Jerusalem, local. Judea and Samaria, national. Ends of the earth, international. Fact. Fact that we have a God that loves you so much that he wanted a way for you to access him, that you can come to him with everything. In fact, that God gives you power to resist temptation and to live a free life, a life free from guilt and shame and sin, no matter what you've done. The fact that this access costs you literally nothing. You can't buy this salvation. You can't Earn this by suddenly cleaning yourself up. Jesus, God's only son, paid your price already. And it was a hefty price. Yeah, your sins deserved punishment. But Jesus took that punishment for you. Jesus already paid your price. Why are you still beating yourself up? Jesus took your beating for you. fact, after this beating, Jesus has life for you. Power, plan, purpose. See, if you get nothing else I say this morning, you have to understand this, that this Easter message, it matters every day, not just today. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and willingly, willingly paid this price for you so that you might have life why would he want something bad for you wouldn't he took death for you why would he want anything bad for you people always think that god's trying to keep something from me i know fun pastor and i'm not seeing it and that's a lie from the devil When the Holy Spirit lives in me, I have power. I have purpose. I have a plan. But only when I believe, only when I trust in the fact that Jesus came to this earth and he died a death that was meant for me because my sin was separating me from God and made a way for you to come into the presence of God. This is the greatest news in the history of the world. We don't just believe it because the Bible tells us to believe it. We don't even believe it just because Jesus tells us to believe it. There's been a lot of prophets and teachers out there telling us to believe some crazy things. We believe it because of all the eyewitnesses who saw it happen. But this is the only religion in the history of the world whose founder says, I'm God. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to go into this grave, and three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And it happened. It happened. And because of that, you can be made new. All your sins can be forgiven. Past, present, and future can be forgiven because of the power that's in Jesus. When I believe, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for time that we have today to come and open up your word and celebrate what you did for us on our behalf. Jesus, thank you for taking my penalty that was due me on that cross. Thank you for separating yourself from God so that I wouldn't have to be. Most importantly, Jesus, thank you for raising from the dead. Thank you for giving me power. Thank you for giving me a purpose. Thanks for giving me a plan. And God, I just ask that you send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way right now to convict each person here this morning of how they need to take their next steps towards you, what they can do with their power, how they can live. Their life on a day in and day out basis to glorify you. If you're here this morning and you've never believed, you've never put your trust in Jesus, in order to receive this free gift of salvation, this power, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says all you have to do is confess in your heart and believe in your mind that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. So I just want to give you a second to confess in your heart. Say, God, I'm sorry. I repent of my sin. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. God, help that life, those lives to be transformed Let them feel the power of your Holy Spirit. God, give each person power as they walk out from this place today. Thank you most of all for this gift of salvation in your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.